soldier's ill at a funny well. Look, look, Harry's got a letter! Hey, give it back, it's mine! Yours? They'll be writing to you. In my opinion, best day of the week. Why is that, Dudley? Because there's no post on Sundays. Right you are, Harry. No post on Sunday. Ha! No blasted letters today! No, sir! Not one single bloody letter! Not one! No, sir. Not one blasted miserable... Some will go to great lengths to get our attention. For some of us, an invitation from God can be just as intimidating as an invitation to the Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry was for Uncle Vernon in the Harry Potter movies. Those invitations from God keep coming and coming and coming. No matter what we do to shut them out, no matter how we might try to keep them out, they continue to come and come and come. God will go to great lengths to get our attention, especially when it comes to serving others, to the idea that others matter, that part of our life, that part of our life is designed to be spent in the service of others. God will go to great lengths to get our attention. Sometimes we look around and we see need everywhere we turn. And it becomes overwhelming because there's nowhere we look where we do not see the needs of others. 
Friends, God is desperate, desperate to get our attention. And sometimes we try to build walls around those invitations. We rejoice on the day when no post will come, when we can just have a moment not to be bothered. And yet God bothers us anyway. God bothers us anyway. We cannot escape God, and God has a mission for us. Desmond Tutu says it like this, that God without you won't, and you without God can't. That God without you won't, and you without God can't. Today we continue a sermon series that we're calling Breaking Up With Ourselves. This is the second week we're looking at how we live with an outward heart and a focus that manifests its life in a service to others. Last week we talked about the idea that it's not about you. Our life is God's project. It's not our own project. That our life is not about us. Today we're going to talk about outsourcing. Outsourcing. A couple years ago I read an article in the New York Times about outsourcing. And, And if you don't know what outsourcing is, it's a task that either you don't like to do or you think someone else can do it cheaper faster and better and so you you let someone else do it you outsource it much of our economy is in some way affected by the concept of outsourcing but outsourcing is creeping more and more and more into our lives you may pull into the drive-thru at mcdonald's today and, and a voice will come over the box crackling to take your order and with a little bit of guilt you'll order that Big Mac and large fries and large Diet Coke because the Diet Coke helps balance out everything else. Isn't that funny by the way? I mean I do it too sometimes. Big Mac, Diet Coke. Um, and that voice will take your order and it's a friendly voice except that voice isn't in the store. That voice you hear in the drive-thru is in a call center in Denver. And they're taking orders at McDonald's, at one in Los Angeles, one in Wyoming, one in Virginia. They're taking orders from people sitting in drive-thrus all across the country. Think about outsourcing, how it extends to our lives. If we're crunched for time, right, and we have a little bit extra money, we'll pay someone to mow our yard, clean our house, wash our car. Many things that just a generation ago we used to do for ourselves, we now pay someone else to do that for us. And so the idea of outsourcing, it's crept into the life of faith. Many of us, when it comes to faith, we want sort of this maximum result with with minimal impact, with minimal uh, effort on our part. And so we think, well, maybe I can outsource my faith too. Especially when it comes to the ideas of serving others, that someone else... Someone else will do that. Maybe you've read about something or something has touched your heart or touched your soul and you thought, well, someone else is probably doing something about that, so I'm not particularly going to bother with that. There was a study done recently that asked a group of people how much they valued serving others. And and the group's value of serving others was off the charts. It was at an all-time high. And then they asked the group a second question. They said, how much time do you spend serving others? And that number was at an all-time low. So there's been studies done like that where the idea of serving others, that value of giving of ourselves, our time, our resources to someone else, we find great value in that. 
But when it comes to actually doing it, we're at an all-time low. And so we have a little bit of a disconnect. Now this morning when Donovan read, he got stuck with a pretty complicated parable. It's at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and in the Gospel of Matthew, and there's all this stuff in there about sheep and goats and separating in the end of, end of days. It's kind of got this apocalyptic type of um, feel to it, sort of a dystopian type of feel to it. And Jesus has been talking to his disciples about the radically different way of life that they are called to. And so he uses these examples of sheep and goats, which in his day, people would have recognized shepherds, rural people, agricultural people. They would have understood uh, the difference between sheep and goats. But in many ways, he's talking to all of them. What he's trying to get them to understand is that you may think the sheep and the goats are different, but they're not. They're not exactly. And he says at the end of the day, what really matters is not a, a confession is not right doctrine, is not right belief, but what really, determines, what really determines your faith is how you act with loving care to those in need. So you can recite all the correct doctrine you want to, he says, but, but how you treat with loving care those in need, that's what's going to make the difference at the end of the day. He says to them these words, he said, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was homeless and you gave me a room. I was shivering and you gave me clothes. I was sick, you stopped to visit. I was in prison and you came to me. Now some will know what he means. Some will know what he means, but some won't. Some will be sitting there thinking, well, we didn't know you were hungry. When have we seen you hungry? We haven't seen you thirsty. We haven't seen you homeless. When were you cold? When were you sick? When were you in prison, Jesus? We haven't seen you do any of that, experience any of that. And then he lets them all in on a little bit of secret. He lets them in on a secret that I think it's a truth. It's a truth that should be shaping the life of each follower of Jesus and shaping the life of the church. Here's the kicker. He says to them, whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it with me. Now you can imagine in the crowd that day the nervousness. Wait a second, we're supposed to see the face of Jesus and everyone that we meet and everyone we see? God was actually depending on me. Notice the text doesn't say I was hungry and you watched someone else feed me. I was thirsty and you sent someone else to give me drink. You, you gave me drink. And so on that day, the followers of Jesus are confronted with the same thing that we are confronted with today. The grand possibility that we are actually the people that God has been waiting on. That God in some way is counting on us, is depending on us. Now I don't know about you, but that, that is intimidating. 
God might actually need something of us and something from us. Now, when we talk about serving others, in many ways, there's two layers to serving. The first layer, the first layer is charity. The first layer is charity, and that is probably what we are most familiar with. It's probably what we are most comfortable with. We in the church and, and in many other organizations, we spend a large portion of our time and resources in charity. And, and that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with this method of service, but if it stops at charity, that's when we have the issue. Robert Lupton's written a book. He's an activist here in Atlanta, a great book. It's called Toxic Charity. It has the longest subtitle in the world, How Churches and Charities Hurt Those They Help and How to Reverse It. And his theory is that sometimes when we just simply engage in charity, we actually have unintended consequences on communities. And he uses the example of a clothing closet. Very popular ministry, very popular um, charity. And the idea, right, is we collect clothes that we, we don't want anymore, we don't need, and we pass them on. And we invite people in need, those without clothes, to come and to take our clothes. What he says, though, is this creates a sense of dependence and sense of disconnect, right? If you even think about it here, we're giving you what we don't want you can have it, and we'll just keep giving it to you. He says a better way to think about a clothes closet is this, is what if you go into a community and you set up a, a clothes store, and people donate clothes, but instead of just giving it away, you charge a quarter for it. You charge 50 cents for it. You spend some of the money employing people in that community to run that clothing store. So they're learning about what it means to, to run a business. They earn a small paycheck from doing that. And so you're creating this sense of dignity and this sense of worth. And he said, at the end of the day, that's what's important, is not only giving people what they might need, but also creating that sense of dignity and creating that sense of worth. That's what Jesus' ministry was about when we talk about serving others, that there is that, that component of taking care of physical needs, but there are those spiritual needs as well, such of dignity, such of worth, love, a sense of wholeness in someone's life. I'll share a parable with you this morning. I shared this spring. There was this town that was situated, and I'm sharing it again because I think it's an important parable for us to think about. There was this town that was situated right on the river, and one day they noticed a person drowning in the river, and they were lucky to pull this one person out of the river. <clears throat> and they began to notice that every, every day or so, someone else would drift down the river, and they would be drowning in the river, and they would have to pull someone else out of the river. After a while, more and more people kept coming down the river, and they managed to save some, but they lost others, and they decide they have a problem, and so they brainstorm, and they decide that they are going to put in at the bottom of that river the greatest life-saving device ever using the greatest life-saving technology. But even then, the number of people coming down the river continues to grow, continues to grow, and either the best effort, even the best intentions, even the best system they could design in the world is not making a difference. People are still drowning. 
And eventually, someone thinks to ask the rest of the people in town, you know, shouldn't we go up the river to see what's causing all of these people to be coming down the river? And the townspeople all say, we're, we're too busy, we don't have time because we're simply pulling, we're too busy pulling people out of the river. Who has time to go up river? Hopefully you see the point of the parable. That charity in some way is just simply sitting at the bottom of the river and saving some we can and not worrying about others we can't. But going up the river to figure out the cause, to see why, why people are going down the river, that is the work of justice. That is the work of justice. That is the work that we are so quick to outsource because it makes us uncomfortable. Because when you go up the river and you ask, well, why are people coming down the river? That, that sort of hits at our own privilege. That hits at our own comfort zone. That makes us ask difficult questions that we, in truth, don't want to really ask. But then we hear the words of Jesus again. Whenever you fail to do one of these things to someone who was being overlooked or ignored, that was me. You failed to do it to me. We must ask ourselves what Jesus desires of us. Would Jesus desire charity of us? Yes. Would Jesus desire charity without justice? I don't think he would. I think as a follower of Jesus, we are nudged to ask those bigger questions. To ask the questions that may make us uncomfortable. That's in part what is breaking up with ourselves, because sometimes we need to break up with our own privilege to ask the right questions, to ask the questions that God would have us ask. And as you go deeper into serving, sometimes as you go deeper into serving in a charity mode, you can't help but ask the questions of justice. You can't help but be compelled to go back up the river. This week in our country, we saw two more officer-involved shootings, one in Tulsa, Oklahoma, one a little bit closer to home in Charlotte. And I know many of us have probably been to Charlotte, may have family in Charlotte, may have lived in Charlotte. And much has been made about the demonstrations in each city, especially in Charlotte. Some of those demonstrations that, that got out of control, that were not peaceful. And it's so easy in this day and age, isn't it, to pass judgment, to point fingers to both sides. We try to impart our life experience upon another's without really understanding what they are going through and what their experience has taught them. And we also miss out on the grief the tragedy in life lost, families, both, both in the community and, and on the police force, families who are grieving this tragedy because it is a tragedy all the way around. And we're so quick to dismiss as, as unruly behavior or just someone in the wrong place at the wrong time or someone is a threat to someone else that we then fail to ask the bigger questions. Why are these shootings taking place? What is causing the unrest that would send people to protest? What are the core 
issues that are sending people into poor protest? What are the issues of racism we need to confront? What are the root causes? You see, these are the questions of justice. They are uncomfortable questions. I'm not going to pretend like these are easy questions to ask. And truthfully, maybe my life as a person of privilege, maybe my life is easier if I don't ask those questions. But my faith compels me to. The one I follow compels me to. Because those are the questions Jesus would be asking. Have you ever thought about when you feed someone, when you've gone somewhere and you've fed them, brought them a meal, have you ever thought, why are they hungry in the first place? What maybe happened in their own life, or what maybe system did them wrong so that they are hungry? When we go to Appalachia and we work up there, why is there such income and education inequality in that community? Why is that? As our youth have gone to Mexico for the last 21 years, those questions around immigration begin to come forward. Well, why? Why just a stone's throw from the U.S. border are people living in such poverty? And you see it as you, as you go through from San Diego. You see, you see mountains with multi-million dollar homes built into them. And pretty soon that landscape turns into a thousand shacks, probably worth about a hundred bucks each. How does that happen? Why do people want to come here? Why will they risk everything to come here? Those are the questions of justice. And some people don't like to ask those questions because they'll say, well, those are political questions or those are divisive questions. But I think we use that sometimes as an excuse not to wrestle with hard things. Because no matter where we come out on these questions of justice, they are hard things. They are wrestling matches. And so sometimes we dismiss them. Well, that's going to be divisive. That's going to be political. That's going to be whatever. That's an excuse so we can stay in our comfort zone. If you read through the Gospels, you'll notice that Jesus liked to make people uncomfortable. He loved to make people uncomfortable. Because for him, he was passionate about these things. He was passionate about justice for all. For him, these aren't political issues. These are gospel issues. These are issues of good news. When he comes to proclaim good news for all people, that's what this is about. And when we move from a spirit of charity to a spirit of justice, we're beginning to say to our brothers and sisters in need, we have skin in this game with you as well. You are a child of God just like we are a child of God. We're not independent of one another, but we are interdependent. Our lives in ways we cannot imagine are woven together. So that invitation keeps coming. It keeps coming. And Jesus is very clear. He says at the end of the day, you can't outsource this. This is about you as a, a follower. This is about you as a church community. This is about us as the body of Christ, as 
children of God. He says, I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was homeless. I was shivering. I was sick. He says, don't just, don't just relieve that immediate need, but ask why it's happening. Because God's desire is for the fullness of life, for the shalom for all of us. And so church, let's be people who have skin in the game. Let's be people who see the face of Jesus in all that we encounter. And let us follow the one, truly follow the one who compels us to move past charity and to move towards justice. Amen.